I think that we have moments in life that are really, really heavy. And when we're in the middle of the storm, like those heavy storms, sometimes our perspective isn't the same as when we step out years later. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 322. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. I have another conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people episode coming up. And I chose this particular topic. You know, I'm going back and forth about what conversations can I have with a friend of mine that people can relate to that would be interesting for people where we don't come on as experts, but more just having a conversation between two women about life stuff. And I thought of Nicole for a couple of reasons. So I met Nicole last year and we were in a mastermind together. We were immediate close friends. And during that year last year, we took a road trip together where as it happens, sometimes you end up talking about deep, dark secrets. I mean, those are mostly my favorite conversations, but Nicole and I took a deep dive into past relationships that we'd had, broken hearts that we've had. And so when I was thinking about an episode talking about big life challenges and the life lessons that come with them, I immediately thought of Nicole. You know, and in having that conversation in the car with Nicole just really made me realize You know, and and this is the case with most people, just how much she has been through and what an incredible human being she is on the other side of it. And if you don't know already, I have chosen Nicole to be my lead coach and help me facilitate the Mentorship Masterclass, which is open for applications right now. If you head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship, you can read all about it and see if it is for you. There's the application button right there The mentorship is my deepest, most transformational work. And I don't say that to scare people. (laughs) I say that because if you're looking for a group program that is all about simple goal setting and going after your fitness goals and what I like to call surface level personal development, this is not for you. This really is a group program for women who are ready to implement the deeper work. If you read my book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, This is definitely the next step for you if you could relate to a lot of those chapters but really haven't implemented all of the things, then please go check it out. One of my favorite things about that are the updates that I get, you know, two years later from my former students who tell me that they're still using the tools that they learned in that program. There's so much insight available to you there. You will have so much self-awareness and tools to be able to live your kick-ass life, to be able to show up as the courageous, confident woman that you truly, truly want to be and the woman that you are on your way to being. So again, that's at yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. And since this is a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people, I'm not going to go ahead and read Nicole's fancy professional bio, but she was a guest previously. I will drop that link in the show notes if you want to read about her. She's phenomenal. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Nicole. Nicole, welcome back. Hello, hello. 
I'm so glad to have you for a conversation about shit that matters with unqualified people, which is, this is your first of those. This is your second time on the show. Well, and, and these are, as I mentioned in the intro, these are different. These are like where we just talk about shit that matters. And I, you know, and this one might be a little bit, cause I, I like to have the conversations about shit that matters with unqualified people not be like, we're the expert and we're going to tell you what to do. However, we're going to talk about challenging times from our life, like major top five challenging times in our life and how we got through it. So, so we are going to be offering a little bit of lessons and I hate using tips and tools, but just, just personal stories of how we managed to get through really challenging times. So are you ready? I am ready. Well, and like you sent me the list of things that <laughs> you've been through. <laughs> Holy shit. I don't, I don't even want to say it yet. So I'm going to, I'll kick it off. I'm going to start. And I think most of my listeners know I'm going to sort of marry two of the, no pun intended here. I'm going to marry two of my topics, which are infidelity and divorce, which a lot of people know my story. And I don't know if you know the full story of it. Do you? I think I have a pretty good grasp on it, um, but there probably are some pieces and bits and pieces that I don't know. Yeah, because we're good friends, but we're newer friends. I only met you like just over a year ago. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll give you the short version because, you know, it's only, uh, you know, about a 45 minute show. <laughs> <laughs> so I was married before. And it's funny, as we're recording this, the anniversary of my breakup is coming up. So it was February 13th, 20, no, 2006. I called my my husband and we were separated at the time. Um, we were going through some stuff and I was suspicious that he might be having an affair, but he had vehemently denied it for about six months. But we were living apart, but we were still seeing each other. And actually our relationship had started to improve at that point. And it was the day before Valentine's Day. I was calling him because he had agreed to come over to my apartment to have dinner on Valentine's Day. So I called his cell phone to see what time he was going to come over. And a woman answered. And she said, um, I said, who's this? And she told me her name. And I had heard her name before as like, you know, the person who might be sleeping with my husband. And right. she told me her name. And I said, are you sleeping with my husband? And she said, if you're asking me that question, then you and I need to talk. And then I heard like a lot of commotion in the background. And then the phone hung up and I was like, oh my God. And it was, I went into total tunnel vision um, time slowed down. I was standing in the Barnes and Noble parking lot in Encinitas in California. And I realized at that moment that the decision had been made for me mm. because I had been, I had been like, should I, should I trust my gut that's telling me he's totally cheating on you? Your marriage is over. You need to move on. Or should I trust the part of me <laughs> that really wants to work it out and hang on? Because I was 31 at the time. Like all I wanted to do was be a mom I wanted to just have a family and have a life and, you know, all the things that we want. And so what happened after that was like so much drama in a really short amount of time. And I think, you know, looking back on it, the most heartbreaking about it wasn't so much losing him. It was losing the life that I had built and his family. Mm. Because if anyone's listening, like, you know what, it, we had been together for 13 years and we had 
you know, we, I, I met him when I was a senior in high school. He had just graduated the year previously and my parents got divorced about a year into our relationship and his family just like welcomed me with open arms, huge family, so much fun. And I was a part of that. I was a hundred percent a part of that family and it like the whole door got slammed in my face and it was like, I, what I tell people is like, I felt like I was walking around in a coma. I just like to get through every day. I had never experienced that level of heartbreak before. Mm. I just, I was humiliated too. And people didn't understand that. They were like, why should you be humiliated? He was the one that, you know, had an affair. And, um, I think that like the thing looking back on it, when people say like, how did you get through that? Like my favorite thing that people say is, I don't know how you did it. I would never be able to to do that. I'm like, yes, you can. Like, <laughs> you can. You just don't want to imagine it, right? Right. Um, I think the thing that got me through it was I had a couple of spiritual experiences. Like, one was just like I fell to my knees and like looked at the sky and was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I'm ready to listen to whatever it is that is out there for me and whatever life is going to happen that's better than this one because I know I wasn't destined for this kind of feeling like rock bottom shit show. So that happened. And then also I was out on a run one time in uh, a really beautiful part of Carlsbad and just like looking out over the cliffs into the ocean and and realizing how vast our earth is Mm -hmm. and how small my problems were. And both like in the grand scheme of things, this doesn't matter. And it also matters a lot. Like both of those things can happen at the same time. And I'm going to be just fine. Like so many people have dealt with so much worse and it doesn't just diminish or dismiss what was happening to me, just that it was just going to be okay. So I don't know. (laughs) What do you think about all that? I think that we have moments in life that are really, really heavy. And when we're in the middle of the storm, like those heavy storms, sometimes our perspective isn't the same as when we step out years later. Right. Like, I think it was really powerful. Your moment, um, in Carlsbad when you were like, I can simultaneously believe that this is really hard and that I'm going to get through it. Like what a moment, like, and how And it really was just a fleeting moment. Cause then I was right back into my heartbreak. Yeah. But like, those are those moments of like, you know, hope, right. The moments of like, okay, I can do this. You know, that little bit of grit, that little bit of Mm -hmm. belief in yourself. And belief that we can we can ma- that we can make it through hard emotions and persevere. Yeah, yeah. I think also just like one more thing that helped me was really truly working on forgiving him mm-hmm. because the more I blamed him and was really angry and bitter, which I think everyone needs to go through that, right? Like I needed to rage and hate him and and you know blame him for all of my problems. And then when I was done, I just was like, this isn't going to get me anywhere. It's just, it's really allowing him to take up so much space and energy in my life when he truly does not deserve it. Also, like, and I don't know how helpful this is for people, but I, I always tell people like, whatever motivates you, whatever works. That was hugely motivating for me to be successful. I was yeah. like, oh, oh, you, you don't want to be with me? <laughs> <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> I'm going to make you regret that yeah. choice. So yeah, that was helpful for me too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
Oh my gosh. Well, you have like a list of things, like start wherever, because I'm looking at your list and I'm like, all of those things I think would be so interesting for people to hear because I think everyone listening has, you know, been touched by one of the hardships that you've been through. So your turn. Okay. So when you came to me and were like, okay, let's just go over all of these hard things in our life that we've overcame. (laughs) I was like, oh, let me start, let me start making the list. And I really went back to like, I think we all have a moment in our life um, and that it's like, okay, I was this, this one moment and this happened. And then I was somehow just a different person. Everything changed. Yeah. Everything was different. Right. And I think when I looked back, I actually tried to find that moment um, at the earliest age that I could. And I know that if you did listen to the previous podcast Mm -hmm. that was on with Andrea, I did touch on this some in that episode, but this was the thing that really changed the trajectory of my life. And it happened when I was 13 years old. Um, so I was having a normal day in junior high school and it was the end of the day. And, um, I can still like, you know, when you have those moments that you still remember, like how you just said, um, you were in the Barnes and Noble parking lot, right? I Mm -hmm. still can remember being at my locker I remember which locker it was. And there was this boy that walked up to me and um, I kind of turned around and he asked me to be his girlfriend. And this was a kid. So was this like seventh grade? Yes, I was in seventh grade. Yep. Um, And so this kid was a kid that I didn't really know, right? I mean, acquaintance at best. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just like, I'm really sorry I cannot be your girlfriend. I, I I don't really know you, but maybe you can give me a call sometime. And that was really kind of how we left it. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, I left it at that and I left, um, I caught my bus home um, and I got to the house and I got to the house and probably 15 minutes after I got home, I got a phone call from another kid at my school that was really an acquaintance. Like I didn't really know him really well. Mm -hmm. And he got on the phone and he said, just so you know, Tim killed himself. And I said, what? And I said, that is like, I was like, I mean, that happened like that. So it happened like that same day, like that afternoon, like literally, I mean this, I got the call like 30 minutes later, he literally walked home and he took his life and Jesus Christ. Yeah. I mean, and that was really, uh, that was really where I was at. Like I was 13 years old. I had no idea how to really even wrap my mind around what suicide was. Yeah. And here I was. And my first reaction was, holy shit, I did that. Yeah. I was, did he leave a note or anything? No, he did not. He didn't leave oh my anything. gosh, parents. Yeah. Um, and that experience, right? Like that. So the rest of the day played out that the school ended up calling my parents. Like I just remember like sitting in my room, like trying to navigate, like really feeling numb. Like yeah. what, like what, like how could this have happened? And as the next few days played out, um, I basically became like, I created a whole new life view for myself. 
And it was basically that um, I can never control how someone's going to react to something that I say. Mm-hmm. And so I am going to be the manipulator of my life, right? Like I, I created a really <laughs> unhealthy toolbox <laughs> for myself. Yeah. And it was I that I'm, I know that I can handle everything. Like I'm still standing. So I'm going to make sure that I know whatever I do, whatever I say, that the other person in any interaction with me is going to be okay. I know Mm -hmm. that I can handle the worst, but I have no idea how another person is going to react. And I'm going to manipulate all of it to make sure that I never have to feel this way again. And so enter like massive people pleasing mode, Mm -hmm. um, really for 20 years of my life. It was as unrational as it sounds. I had a huge fear that I was going to say something and someone was going to take their life. Um, I, to wrap my mind around probably all of the things that I, I really did to myself from that point forward, just because of my outlook of thinking that I could handle everything. I got myself in, like, I never put myself first. And, Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I really did that for 20 years until I got counseling, um, in my thirties. Um, and it wasn't like, I always thought that I, I always thought that I was better until I really started digging into the work (laughs) and Mm -hmm. realized that Mm -hmm. it wasn't really better. Everyone does. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe I just shoved that to a place that I didn't access, right. The pain and the hurt. Um, another really unhealthy tool that I learned, um, to manage those emotions was I remember so many people coming up to me for like quite some time after it happened. And the first thing that they would say to me was like, you know, it's not your fault. Right. And like immediately in my mind, I was like, the reason they're saying this is because they do think it's my fault and they're Mm -hmm. trying to make me feel better. Yeah. So I really like learned how to shut off uncomfortable conversations. And so anytime anybody ever said that, I was like, yes, I know. And I'm fine. Right. Like that was Mm -hmm. my go-to, like, I know this, it's not my fault and I'm fine. And well, and you, you live in, you grew up in a smallish town, right? Yes. So you, it sounds like you couldn't escape it. No. Like everyone knew. Everyone knew, right? Like oh, and everybody was looking at me and like everybody knew what happened. So yeah, it was, um, I really p- built a lot of walls and barriers and, um, you know, to try to control my world. Yeah. That's what it became do about. Do you think, do you think that that, cause I know another thing on your list is bulimia. Do you yeah. think he was directly related to that? Oh, I mean like indirectly 100%, mm-hmm. right? So I'll kind of like, I guess I'll take the stage here a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so c- carrying on with that and like my people pleasing behavior, um, it really led me into some unhealthy relationships. And in my early twenties, I was in a pretty unhealthily unhealthy, um, abusive relationship with a man. And, um, it really compounded my, it compounded my belief that I had no control over anything that was happening. Mm -hmm. And so what had started at 13 built up, right? Like me trying to control my environment and then me getting into an emotionally unstable relationship Um, I was then in a position again, where I felt like I had no control. And I think, um, 
that was one of the big reasons that I turned to like bulimic behaviors Mm -hmm. and really suffering from bulimia. And it was really a place in my life that I was just trying to grasp at anything that I can control. Yeah. Everything at that point in my life felt like I was spiraling. Um, Even though I felt like I'd kept it together um, all at that point, even the meaningful relationships in my life were spiraling because of the relationship that I was in. Like my world was circling and I couldn't, I, I just couldn't find any control Mm -hmm. for anything. And, um, that was a, that was another really big, um, breaking point for me. It was like, okay, this, all of these things that you've done to protect yourself, in fact, have actually not protected you. And I was in even more of a worse, vulnerable, emotional situation and, um, food Mm -hmm. and, the disorder and the disordered eating was like something that felt really safe as bizarre as that may sound. Like it felt really safe to me. Um, it was something that I can control. Yeah, I totally get it. I I think that's super common. And and honestly, that's why I named my book, how to stop feeling like shit, because it's exactly as you said it, we do all these coping mechanisms because we think that they're protecting us and they think we think that they're making us feel better and keeping us safe and they work for a little while. There's a saying in in 12-step programs that says it works until it doesn't. Right. And that's what it sounds like you were doing, <laughs> you know, as I was doing too. It was like, and so many listeners, I think it works until it doesn't. And then when we get to the place where we realize it's not working anymore, those behaviors feel like shit. Staying in the dysfunctional relationship, doing addictive behaviors like bulimia, or even if it's, uh, you know, restrictive eating or over-exercising. Mm-hmm. And and then it feels like such shit, but we don't know how to get out of it. Right. And then that's, you know, really what the theme of that book was. And, and I was the same, like my codependence starting when, you know, it's funny, my high school boyfriend posted something on Facebook, just something random. And it kind of like sent me down the rabbit hole of remembering like how I was, we started, he and I started dating when I was 15. And that was probably like the last normalcy I had (laughs) entering that relationship with him. And he was honestly the most out of all the men that I have loved before, you know, Jason aside, my high school boyfriend was probably the most kind and, um, compassionate, even though he did break up with me to go out with other girls in high school, he did have the decency to actually break up with me instead of cheat on me, mm-hmm. go behind my back. But I, I look back at my 15 year old self as like the last innocent year before <laughs> I went down the path of codependence. And, and for me, it was like this departure from my family, which was very loving, but never talked about anything hard. We avoided hard things like the plague. And I, I just, I was so determined to find my esteem and and love and value and worth through the eyes of someone else mm-hmm. specifically my romantic partnerships and when we, he and I were in love like so much that first year and didn't really have any real problems everything was great and then when things got complicated because we were having sex and then he you know and then like he would break up with me right. and just all this heartache i dove deep into codependence and was just like I'm going to control everyone and everything around me. Mm -hmm. 
And if I can't do it, that's where I start to spiral and try to hold on even harder to whatever I can. And then it was affecting my my friendships and my parents and just my life in general. And then that's where my eating disorder came in. And 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 for me, it was heavy calorie restriction and over-exercising. Yeah. Um, and, and really, it wasn't until – it's sort of ironic how I ended up healing from those things. Like, And it reached a fever pitch. So that stayed with me and like massive love addiction. I esteemed myself – and found and got high and found my worth through men in relationships. Mm-hmm. So it was just this constant cycle of of cheating and then feeling ashamed and hating myself for it and wanting to find relief. So I would go out again and try to find someone to hook up <laughs> with it just over and over and over again. This went on for years. And then when it all came crashing down was actually when I, after my divorce, and I started dating the guy who faked cancer to cover up his drug addiction, he went to rehab and I went and spent a few days at family week there, um, like as a guest. And they were talking about all this stuff. They were talking about codependence, which my therapist, by the way, had told me about, but I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I still, I still think it's other people's fault. <laughs> That's not me. Right? I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to take any responsibility for my life yet. Um, but then I, I'm at this rehab place and, you know, the counselors are talking about it. They're having 12 step meetings there, you know, I, there was a book in the bookstore about love addiction. And I started reading the first few pages. I was like, oh my God, they, she wrote this book about me. She wrote this book <laughs> about my life. So it's like, I'm finally having, having this awakening. Right. And then I really started to, that's really when all my work started. So I, I, I say all this because I think that you, and I'm curious about you mm-hmm. because I had to get to that place where it was just massive insight, right? Like, right massive insight and self-awareness. And you have to be in that place too, where you take responsibility. And it's not about self-blame. It's not about saying, oh, this is all my fault that I am so fucked up and I need to get my shit together. Everybody else, you know, here I am 30 something and like all my friends are married and have kids. Like, cause it's easy to go down that path too. Mm-hmm. But I think it like the, the, the insight and the self-awareness from a place of hope and empowerment Right. That's very different. What was it similar for you? Because I know everyone's experience is different. Oh, I think so. I think that the point when I was like, okay, like you got to face all this shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> like no more of this isn't working any longer. Like you said, it was really after I had been married, mm-hmm. um, in a super amazing. Like I mean, my husband and I's relationship is fantastic, and still. I was still engaging in a lot of my people pleasing behaviors. And, um, for me, it was like one day, a little bit of the backstory. Let me give a little bit of backstory. So this makes a little bit more sense. So, um, my husband is quite a bit older than I am. So he's about 10 years, 10 and a half years older than I am. And when I met him, he like had an established life, um, because he was 10 years like he'd mm-hmm. ha- lived that 10 years before. That was me. the same with Jason too. Like he owned his own home and yeah. like, like it was kind of amazing. I was like, Oh, you're like a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, like <laughs> you're not a boy. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's exactly the same thing. Like my husband had, you know, a life, he had a business, he was good a, credit, good credit, like all of these things. <laughs> right. He had all of these things that like a well-established man had. And here Mm -hmm. I was still like, I still had some debt. I was still like working on myself. Like I was in my mid twenties, like all of this kind of stuff. I was still kind of a hot mess. 
um, I think back sometimes, like, what did he see in me at that point? Like, you know, like, what was it about me? Um, I like to believe he, he saw my potential. (laughs) (laughs) But when I married him, I really had this notion, like I married into this life, right? Like I, when I stood at the altar, I knew what I was guiding myself into. And this was the life and it was the life that he had created. And I just kind of fell into this pattern of living out our life. Like this is the life that I married into. This was the life that we were going to have. And I never gave myself permission to create my own. And Mm. that was, and it was all embedded in this, me being a people pleaser, right? I didn't want to disappoint. Like I didn't want to ruffle any feathers, um, especially since I was in this great relationship. Right. Um, And I really decided that, um, and I really, really hoped I decided I was going to go to counseling Mm -hmm. and I was like, I really, really hope my husband grows with me through this. Um, but I knew at that point I was like, I have to make a stand and really get to the bottom of my shit, heal from my shit and figure out who I wanted to be. And that was really, really scary. Mm -hmm. But it was that same moment of like, okay, we're going to get better. And I really hope that my husband chooses to come along this ride. I didn't have any, I didn't have any, um, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, but I also knew that I couldn't live my life simply for other people anymore. And that's really what this realization was, was, was that, oh my gosh, I've lived 30 some years. Mm Mm-hmm trying to not ruffle anybody else's feathers, making everybody's life easier and putting myself on the back burner. Yeah. I am super curious. Did you tell him when you were going through counseling, like did, well, first did he know that you were going to counseling? Yes. I did tell him that I was going to counseling. Were you specific? Did you talk to him about what you were working on or did you keep that to yourself? Um, I kept it to myself. I mean, like we were like, I think that there was like, I mean, every marriage has them, but like, it was definitely a rocky point in our marriage. Like we both knew that things weren't great. Um, we also had, like, we were in the midst of being foster parents and we had adopted our daughter through the foster system and she had, so that was all going on at the same time. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 I am when you told that story, I totally imagined that was before. Oh no, the adoption. No, this was all. And I think that's what pushed me to the edge. Like I was like trying to navigate behaviors and my daughter's situation and everything that comes with being one foster parents and bringing in kids from the foster system and two (laughs) navigating, um, special needs that she had and trying Mm -hmm. to keep our family afloat through some pretty strenuous times. Wow. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that there's, I hope you don't think like I was, I had that judgment about that. Like, I I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do that in terms of somebody going to counseling or therapy, you know, without their partner. I do think that there are cases where you need to go through that on your own first. You don't need to debrief every detail to your partner (laughs) about your counseling session. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think some people need a minute to, just walk that path on their own with their therapist or maybe like one of their best friends they can debrief it with. But especially if you said like you weren't in a great space, right? 
I just don't sometimes don't think it's good timing to like dump all that on your partner. Right. And like you just said, um, so also when I was going through one of the things that spurred me on to go to therapy was that I, I train, I was training for an Ironman and mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time alone, moving my body, doing different things. And I, it was like a lot of the things that I was healing from were like stuff that didn't have to do with my husband. It may be playing out in our marriage. It may be playing out in my life, yeah. but these were things that I deeply needed to do on my own. And I think that that's okay. Like, I think that we have a right to have our experiences, um, be our own mm-hmm. and to navigate them on our own, like, and to honor ourselves. Um, even if it was 20 years ago, right. To honor ourselves enough to say that may have been 20 years ago, but I'm going to navigate that now. I'm going to heal myself from that now. Yeah. And to do it in your own way. Mm-hmm. I I love that. I I would say I want to end on that, but I have I have one more story. <laughs> I want to hear that story. <laughs> well, and it's it's a little bit of a departure from the list that that we made. Um, and I can share it because it's super recent and it's, you know, now, so my, the big, super heavy stuff that I mentioned, you know, my, my divorce and what happened with the the guy that conned me. And if anybody's ever watched, did you, did you catch either the podcast and or the Netflix series, Dirty John? I don't think so. No. Oh my God. So the reason how I got turned onto it is because I was telling my friend Lisa this, my story of, of, um, you know, this guy that conned me and lied about having cancer to cover up his drug addiction. And, and she was like, have you read, heard the podcast Dirty John? Cause the story sounds exactly the same. And I hadn't, but then I listened to it and I was like, oh my God. And then Netflix picked it up. Connie Britton plays the lead. Oh, I love her. Oh my God, Nicole. I had to, I know I do too. She is basically, the only difference in the story is that I was not a super wealthy interior designer like she was, and it doesn't end in murder. Um, sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> if you haven't seen the show. I won't tell you who gets murdered. Somebody gets murdered. And um, watching it on Netflix, I had to stop two different times. And I told Jason and I said, I didn't know I was going to be so triggered. I said, imagine having your life, like the hardest parts of your life played out on a Netflix special. And it's not your life, but the the similarities were so incredibly Mm -hmm. just punched me in the face. And there's a point where he is, oh my God, he has like lied to her over and over again. And he is in the hospital and he's like admitting to everything. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I lied about this. I lied about that. And just like telling her why he did it and like so vulnerable and like the look on his face. And, and he said, but the one thing I didn't lie about, and I said to myself, I said it out loud in my living room. I said, oh my God. So I don't remember this from the podcast because in the podcast, they don't interview him. It's just her story and like oh. her daughters. But here, here's this actor, this guy. And he said, the one thing I didn't lie about was my love for you. And that was the exact same line that I was fed in his mom's living room when he was about to go to rehab and I was pregnant and he's telling, he's admitting to everything. He admitted to lying about having cancer and like so many lies. And he said, and I, I will never forget it. He was sitting down and I was standing in front of him and he was looking up at me and he's like, the one thing I never lied about was my love for you. And that 
also was a lie. And when I'm seeing it like played out on Netflix and I was like, I had to leave the room because I thought I was going to throw up. And I just was like, okay, this is trauma. Like this is legit trauma trauma that's happening. So anyway, I got off track there. (laughs) So all that stuff happened in 06 and the very beginning of 07 was when it all ended. And I have not spoken to him since then. So just recently, um, oh, you know, it was just this past weekend as we're recording this, Jason got really sick. Uh, unexpectedly, I was like on my way, I was at the airport on my way to a speaking event, had to rush home, run through the airport, rush back home, take him to the ER. He had had hernia surgery a week and a half prior, and there was some complications with it. He spent two nights in the hospital. And the first night that we were at the hospital, I had to go home to pick up some stuff and like make sure they don't let kids there under 13. So it was like dealing with that. And I got home and nobody was there. Both my kids were at play dates. And I knew I needed to eat something because I hadn't eaten all day. And I'm like sitting at my kitchen table trying to eat. And I like wasn't really hungry. And I started, I pushed my dinner away and I started crying. And I thought to myself, and so by the way, if anybody doesn't know this, I've been sober for eight years. And so I started crying and I had a thought and I thought to myself, these are the moments where people drink. And for me, that is a very dangerous thought because it wasn't that I wanted to drink at all. When we think that, like that is the my old behaviors tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, I know you don't want to feel like this anymore. I know you're scared. I know you're frustrated. I know you're right. angry. But if you want to feel different, there's a solution. Mm-hmm. And so if I stayed in that place, the next thought for me would be, well, nobody would know. I could get a bottle of wine and drink it. My kids aren't here. Nobody would know. I could just stay home and go on with my day tomorrow. And that didn't happen. But I know through experience that even just the thought of this is, these are the moments where people drink Mm -hmm. was enough to like make me like, okay, I have to call someone. And luckily one of my friends, like not even, not even 30 seconds later, my phone rang and it was one of my friends. And I just like totally broke down and started crying. And, and I tell this story because I think a, I want people to know, like, shit still happens to me. And the difference, the difference is, is yes, I still do fall apart, but I think it's in such a more healthy human way rather than falling apart and then fall also falling back on all these old behaviors, which I know do not serve me drinking. Um, you know, there's, there's a numerous ways I could have dealt with that pain and fear that would have put me back into a place that I'm not proud of. And it's, you know, I, I love that part of me that's still really, really human and I'm compassionate towards her, which is also new because I used to just get really, maybe, maybe a little bit ashamed that I still even have those thoughts, but it's like, Jesus Christ, like we're all human. Like we're all doing right. the best we can. We all have worst case scenario happen to us sometimes. And I, I do this Monday gratitude with this women's group that I'm in. And I, this Monday, it was just yesterday. And I, I said, you know what I'm grateful for? I'm really grateful of how I showed up mm. because I only reached out to people who I knew could hold space for me. Um, I only answered calls from people I knew I could trust and like cry on the phone with like, you know, you being one of them where I could just like, here's everything that happened. It totally sucks. Um, here's the people I'm mad at. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to be okay. But I think, you know, those are the moments that really show us how far we've come. And if you're listening and you're not at that place yet, like I want you to know, like 
there's so much hope. It's just what I can attribute that to is again, like massive insight to what my triggers are, what my thought patterns are that are, that are going to send me into the darkness, massive self-awareness and self-compassion. Um, and just, and really just knowing that I'm going to get through it. And even if it fucking sucks right now, right. Resilience. Yes. I always say, and I think that this happens. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that if you don't know this about me, I'm an ultra runner, but when I go into a race, um, I always say I'm going to commit to the grievances. And Ooh, I, I like that. Yeah. And I think that's like that same thing. Like when we have trauma, like we have to commit to the grievances that are going to come because it, it doesn't, it's not going to always be easy. We're going to have triggers that we didn't think that we had anymore. We're going to have feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Things are going to happen. But if we can believe that we can handle any of those feelings and emotions and really just commit to the process and honor ourselves, commit to the grievances of what's coming, knowing that we're better off, we're better off than we were, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're moving forward. We keep taking the next step. We keep, we keep healing yeah. with every experience that we have. Commit to the grievances. Yeah. That needs to be on a bumper sticker and a t-shirt. Yeah. And a trucker hat. A trucker hat. (laughs) It really needs a trucker hat. Yeah. But commit to the grievances. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. I I have so such so loved this conversation. And I I just want to say, I want to say that like everything that we were pointing to, you know, talking about resilience and committing to the grievances and having massive insight and self-awareness and knowing your triggers, that is all stuff that people will will learn in the mentorship. And you are my trusted facilitator for this round, which I'm so excited for. And I'm so honored. I just, I mean, when I was thinking of people of who would I have facilitate, there was a very short list. And, you know, I just, I can't think of someone else I would rather have hold the space for this community. And if anyone is interested, yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship, go over and check it out. Read about everything that you'll learn. So it's a combination of curriculum and coaching calls. So the curriculum is all facilitated by yours truly. It is science-based. I've run it five times before. This, Yeah, this will be the sixth time. It is a combination of the, my training web, The Daring Way, that's the methodology I learned um, from Brene Brown and her senior faculty, as well as the Coaches Training Institute, 13 years of coaching. It's my heart and soul, deepest, most transformational work. This is not surface level personal development, which I am a fan of, but if you're ready for actual transformation and integration rather than just collecting more information, then come check us out. It's application only. And I can't wait. It starts end of March. And if you have some questions about it and you aren't sure, Lauren is happy to get on a phone call and answer all of your questions and see if it's right for you because it's definitely a commitment. It's 12 weeks long and um, 10 weeks of curriculum. I, I I love this curriculum more than anything. I love it so much. I want to marry it. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I absolutely love it. So yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. And anything else you want to add, whether it's about the mentorship or anything that you've learned, anything that we talked about that you want to underscore? Um, I just think like group programs are so amazing because I feel like as women, especially in our lives, like it's very rare that we have community with women Mm -hmm. that are 100% there to like support you. 
And that is what it can be so amazing about a group program like this is that there's going to be a bedrock of women yeah, there to support every single one of us as you go through the process together. And I think that's magic, um, especially in the world of social media and, you know, somewhat disconnection mm-hmm. between relationships in our lives and what a gift for all the women that are going to go through it. So, yeah. Yeah, there it is a lot of it, it can feel very disconnected. Uh-huh. And, you know, I so many times over have seen women from my programs remain friends and then actually meet up in person and they're in different states or different yeah. countries. And, and we've created the calls so that they're at different time zones. So people can, um, can get on them, whether they're on the West coast or whether they're, you're in the UK or Canada or wherever. And mm-hmm. so your kickasslife.com slash mentorship. So that link is going to be in the show notes and let us know if you have any questions about it. I am so grateful for all of you listening that you take the time to spend it with me and my guests. And until next time, everyone, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 